Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we are today, Matthew chapter 6. We're finishing our series, The Battle for Your Family, talking today about the battle for a God-saturated family budget. Here's the key concept this morning. The way you handle your money matters to God. The way you handle your money matters to God. Picture this scene with me for a moment as you're finding Matthew chapter 6. It's a scene taken from an imaginary family that I've named the Macy's. The Macy's have three children, Charity, Ryan, and Tyler. The Macy's live in a middle-class home. They do all the middle-class things, but, and you would never know that the money is tight. But the money is tight for the Macy's. But Mr. and Mrs. Macy have made a conscious choice not to talk about money in front of the kids not to let any of their friends know that things are tight. They do not want to get their kids upset. They do not want to appear less successful than anybody else in their circle of relationships and friends. And so it's kept quiet. They're living beyond their means, but it doesn't feel like they're living beyond their means because it's hidden in terms of the way they live their life. But every once in a while, in those rare occurrences when Mr. Macy really takes the time to sit down with the bills and the bank accounts, all of a sudden it becomes very obvious that they're living on their credit cards. They're, as they say, robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're always just a little bit ahead of financial disaster, but disaster is looming. And every once in a while, the stress of it gets too much for Mr. Macy. And he calls out kind of in a loud voice, you know, when Charity wants some new clothes and Ryan wants to take up skiing and Tyler is getting more and more into computers and is coming all at once. And in frustration, he'll say, do these people think money grows on trees? And when he says that, it dawns on him These kids have no idea where money comes from. They have no idea what it takes to to have a, a, a run a household, to have a family budget. They have no idea even what he does for a living. If they were asked, what does your dad do for a living? They would they would probably answer, well, he works in an office. That's as close as they can come. No sense of how money matters to life or how our attitude towards our money matters to God. But it does. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, starting our reading in verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The biblical principle is how you handle your finances demonstrates your heart's true desire, what you truly love. The number one most revealing document concerning the orientation of our life and our heart is our checkbook. That's where we really are able to tell what we love. What do we do with the money that God entrusts to us? It may surprise you to know that 40% of church members in the United States of America give less than 3% of their income to all charities that they contribute to combined. 40%, less than 3%. 26% of all church members give nothing to the budget of the church. 
Is it because we don't care about the gospel going out into the world? Is it because we don't care about reaching our city for Jesus Christ? No, we do care. But for many of us, we are unable because we're trapped in a, in a cycle of debt and a materialistic lifestyle. Add to that the fact that for many of us, we have fostered an attitude that when we give offerings in the church, put our money in the box on the way out, we're kind of paying for admission rather than supporting the work of the Lord. I had a gentleman come up to me regularly on a regular basis in a joking voice, and he would say, boy, that was a pretty good show for a dollar. After a while, I started to wonder, how much is he actually joking about that? See, that's the wrong perspective. Our offerings are sacrificial giving, giving to the Lord, an individual act of worship, for He is the owner and provider of all that we have. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's a basic principle. It's the foundational principle of how we think about our money and all that we have. God is the provider. God entrusts us with our money, our wealth. You having money is God's idea. Our income, our savings, our job, our strength, our health, our investments, our possessions, our portfolios, all of those things are provided by God. So when we're not handling money well, when we're not saving, when we're not giving generously, when we are living beyond our means, it's a signal that something has gone wrong. We've forgotten that God is the provider and our confidence rests in Him for our contentment. So today, I want to focus with you on what precedes the ability to give and support the work of the Lord, and that is having a God-saturated spending plan for our money. Being able to create a spending plan is the most basic of financial skills. Today, just a moment ago, we voted on our church spending plan. The spending plan represents what we as a body of believers hope to be able to do for the Lord in the year ahead. It is a picture, a portrayal, if you will, of what we prayerfully look forward to as God leads. We have a spending plan as a body of believers. The question is, do we have a spending plan in our individual families? It's a plan for what you will do with the money that God brings your way. Have you ever sat down and figured out exactly the money that comes in, exactly the money that goes out, and where it goes? At some point, every family needs to do that and probably review that from time to time because the plan is important. I encourage you to look into the financial uh, Peace University materials offered here by Dave Ramsey. We, we put that class on uh, occasionally. And in that financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey talks about the seven baby steps of budgeting, and he bases his thinking on this verse, Luke 14, 28. Jesus is speaking, and he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will, not he, will, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? In that verse, Jesus is basically uh, pointing out the common sense practice of making a spending plan before you start a building project. We ought to have a spending plan as we build a life as well. Now, people relate to, the, to money in different ways, from a different perspective and attitudes. 
And those ways usually fall into one of four groups. Maybe you're a combination of this. But some people are motivated by freedom in, in terms of having money and using their money. It causes them to feel free to have money and to use their money. Others are motivated by security. When they have their money and, and use their money, it gives them a sense of stability in life and they want that sense of security. Other people are motivated by power or by position, by the way that having money and spending money makes them look to others. And others are motivated by love. In other words, when they have money and they use money, they, they're thinking about how they can apply this money to the people that they love and that they care about and bless them in many ways. And sometimes we're a combination of these things. And I bring that up, this motivational aspect up, because if we find in our homes and families that there's tension in regarding conversations of money, it's usually because we are coming from different motivations, different internal cues, if you will, in terms of how we use money. And it's vital to understand that and to actually talk about that as you develop a spending plan in your family. Each family's spending plan should include things like housing, transportation, food, clothing, phone, utilities, those kinds of things, of course. But today, I want to focus on two big picture categories. And the first category is this. In your spending plan, allow for savings for long-term goals and emergencies. It's vital that we have that. Proverbs 27, 12 says this, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. The first baby step in Dave Ram that Dave Ramsey recommends in Financial Peace University is this. He says, the first thing you need to do is set aside $1,000 in case of emergency. Put $1,000 aside somewhere in case of emergency. Now, that doesn't sound like much, does it? For most of us, that doesn't sound like much at all. But CNBC reported recently that only 41% of Americans can do that. 41% say they can, in cash, set aside $1,000 in the case of an emergency. 37% of those who were polled said that if an emergency happened, they would need to charge it, charge the response on a credit card or take out a loan. But we shouldn't be like that. We need to think ahead. We need to recognize that things happen. And to call to think ahead, to consider the future and make plans just in case and have an emergency fund. I encourage you to do that if you don't have that as a family already or as an individual. But also saving for long-term goals. Thinking about, well, what does God really want me, want me to do with the rest of my life? What is, the, what is the plan that He has in mind for me? And setting ourselves up so that those dreams might come true. It's this idea is lost in a culture that is all about the crush of instant gratification, spending money as fast as we get it. That's the Macy's. That's where they are in life. But we need to be planning ahead and saving part of our, part of our money. Part of our spending plan needs to be able to set aside each month a bit of the money that will allow us to achieve the vision that we have for ourselves as God has, has guided us and for our children, and for our future. Allow ourselves the flexibility in case an emergency should come, but also have that plan. Saving for, long -term, uh, for the long term as a part of your life plan gives us some life lessons that are important, a, a subtext of life lessons. And one of them is this. It's important to set goals. 
In every aspect of life that is true, it's important to set goals, particularly in financial goals. Goal setting is a skill that's valuable in all sorts of ways. And the difference between a goal in your life, no matter where you are in, in the course of your life, the difference between a goal and a ridiculous fantasy is simply a plan to get there, a step-by-step -step plan that gives me some objectives that I can work out. Floating through life without goals, not striving to understand the stepping stones of the objectives that will help me in my future will never get us anywhere. And the finance is a part of that. A saving spending plan that says, that, that, that plans for the future says, I realize I need to have goals and I need to have a plan to reach those goals. And it means this always for all of us. It is vital for us to be able to develop the skill to defer some pleasure now in order to gain accomplishment later. It's a vital skill for us to understand. John Maxwell has said, courage plus obedience today equals success tomorrow. And that's true in every aspect of life. But it calls for us today to have patience, to show courage, to be able to defer pleasure. And what I mean by deferring pleasure is this. Here's the real power behind planning for the future. Being able to ask this question, is this thing that is right in front of me that I think I want to buy or I think I want to charge or this experience that I, I think I want to experience now, is it worth deleting my goals for the future for? Is it worth allowing those goals to go away so that I can have this or do this? Or can I defer the limited and fleeting pleasure I will get out of this thing right now in order that I might achieve my goals in the future? Learn that thought process. Ask that question. Teach those questions to your children and to your grandchildren. Because those are the kinds of questions of life that will enable them to have savings for the future and a plan for emergencies. Having savings for the future and a plan for in case of emergencies is like building the bottom foundation of a building that has yet to be built. The blueprints for that building, that, well, they're in the, in the eyes and the hands of the master. And he will allow us to build that building called life according to his will. But if the foundation is never laid, the building will never get constructed in the way that God wants it to be built. The first category is saving for emergency and for long-term plans. The second category in our financial plan should be this, giving for the support of the gospel work. Proverbs 3.9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, that's an interesting uh, uh, picture that the proverb is giving us there because literally in ancient Israel, the first fruits were the first portion of the crops that were harvested, given to the Lord as an offering. Imagine yourself as a farmer. Not many of us are farmers here today. But imagine that you're a farmer and you have worked the fields and you have planted the crops and you have steadily uh, watched those crops grow and with anticipation and joy, you recognize, you know, harvest day is coming. 
there's going to come a time that all of my work and all of my effort is going to pay off because the harvest is going to come. I'm going to bring in those crops. And then when the harvest is ripe, the very first section of the harvest, you, you cut away and you bring it to the Lord as a sacrifice of joy and thanksgiving. That's the experience of the, of the children of Israel. And that's the pattern that the Scriptures called for for our gospel giving based on the first fruits biblical principle. And I say that because I know that this is, this is what happens sometimes. Often we don't give as we ought to the work of the Lord. And it's not because our theology is bad, and it's not because our intentions aren't pure. It's because simply after we pay the bills, there's not that much left. In fact, sometimes there's nothing left. But the biblical model is clear. Have a plan in such a way so that the work of the Lord Jesus is the first check you write. It's the first fruits of your finance. Whenever the pay period comes or the month comes, whatever it is, the first fruits comes to the Lord. Parents and grandparents, you should let your kids see that you give to the work of the Lord. Not necessarily what you give to the work of the Lord, but they need to see that mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, they, they are supporting the gospel work and make the local church your primary area of tithes and offerings. Why? Because here is where the Lord has placed you and here is where He's asking you to not only give but to serve and to see what your funds are doing in gospel work and ministry. First fruits given to the Lord. But as you put these two principles together, saving for emergencies and long-term goals, and a first fruits approach to the tithes and offerings to the Lord, you probably can see where that will lead us as families and as individuals. It will lead us to the place where principle number three will have to come into place, and that is being willing to limit our lifestyle for the sake of the kingdom. Our spending plan should remind us that we have a call to limit our lifestyle so that we don't get caught up in materialism and the worship and the devotion of stuff. Proverbs 11.28 says this, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Now, some of you are saying, well, I, there's no fear that I'm ever going to be a materialist because I don't have enough money to be a materialist. In reality... Materialism is not about how much you have. It's about how much what you have has you. It's about where your heart is. It's a heart issue. Materialism is a heart condition that can trap you even when you have very little and that does not necessarily have to trap you when you have much because it's the attitude of how I relate to my finance. I understand that this comes as a gift from God that God has blessed me, and now I'm able to see that in proper perspective. There's some symptoms that we are to watch out for in terms of watching out for the disease of materialism. Let me give you four quick symptoms to be aware of and maybe to uh, just look for in your own life. Number one, a, a symptom of materialism is extreme anxiety over money. Do you worry about money? Do you fight about money at home? Do you lie about money? These are red flags. 
And if these things are happening, for most of us in this room, if we are overly anxious about finance, it's because we have extended ourselves into a lifestyle that is beyond what we can afford, beyond our means, and it causes that anxiety. Symptom number two, coveting. Do you resent those who have more instead of rejoicing with the blessings that they enjoy? Do you want what they have to the point where you have a negative emotion towards people who have more than you? That's coveting. And coveting is a sign of materialism. Thirdly, a sign of materialism is when we give, we give grudgingly. When you do give to the work of the Lord or, or support a, a charity, do, do you find yourself thinking about now, I can't buy that thing that I wanted to buy because now I'm supporting this work? Or is it about picturing what the giving is doing in the world for the glory of God and the work of the gospel? Grudging giving is a sign of materialism. And fourthly, chronic discontent. That's a sign of materialism. Satan wants to trap us in a lifestyle that where we're never satisfied, where we're chronically discontent, never happy, never realizing the blessings, never looking around and saying, praise God for the way that He has provided for us. If that's your life, it's a sign of materialism. But we can overcome that because we are called to have a God-saturated spending plan, a God-saturated way of using our finance. So let me call to your mind a true story, a story about Danny Simpson. Danny Simpson was arrested in Ottawa, Canada for armed robbery. He robbed a bank at gunpoint. He stole $6,000. Eventually, Danny Simpson was arrested. He was convicted. He was sent to jail for six years. But when Danny Simpson went to jail, his gun went to a museum. You see, he had used in that robbery an antique gun made by the Ross Rifle Company, and the value of the gun was $100,000. Did you catch that? He used a $100,000 gun to steal $6,000. My point is, this is an example of not knowing the value of what we have, not understanding what we have. And if we don't handle our money God's way, we lose the sense of the value of what we have, the sense of the blessing of our family, the blessings of our, our call to kingdom stewardship in all that we have as we seek to serve the Lord. Having a financial plan that is God-saturated, has a plan for emergencies, has saving for the future, includes giving for the gospel work, that has eternal blessings and eternal benefits. And I hope every family here can say, that's the kind of plan we have or we want and we will get. Let's do that work together. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that in very practical ways you give guidance to our families. You give direction for how we are to handle ourselves financially, but also we've noted through the internet and through our social media and all these kinds of things that you've called us to represent righteousness and to teach our children to do so as well. So help us be, to be true to that call. Enable us, Lord, to live for you in every aspect of life, and we give you the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We are to be thankful people, and the team has come to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. Let's rise and sing Give Thanks.
As always, we have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. They will wait for you. If there's a concern for prayer in your life, something that is a burden, you can lay that burden down in prayer. Slip forward as others are leaving, and they will pray with you and for you. But first, let's all pray together. Lord, we thank you that as we move forward in this day and throughout this week, we have the opportunities to speak the words that will bring blessing in other people's lives, to do the things that will represent the love that we've found in you, Jesus Christ. 
So we pray that we see those chances, that we take those opportunities, and that we represent you well. Move and work through us, we pray, and we'll give you the glory for all of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.